This is The Instigators, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. We are going to Oh, Marty, I'm sure most producers don't love it when the game goes to overtime because they've had long days to begin with in the production truck with the entire team that makes the broadcast come to life. Our focus in this episode of Instigators Overtime will be with Buffalo Sabres producer Joe Pinter. But I'm wondering if you have a little, uh, you know, television production behind the scenes story heading into this. Uh, yeah. Okay. So Joe's fantastic, by the way, um, love working for him and he'll have a lot of RJ stories, but so producers have to keep a tight ship. They have a time specific to certain elements and they have commercial breaks they have to hit. And there's so many things they have to go. And so we have our IFB, which is basically a earpiece that the producers can talk to us while we're talking. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the producer's favorite word for me? Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Wrap it up, Marty. Wrap, wrap, Marty. Five seconds. Wrap it up, Marty. Wrap. Like, I, I want to talk. I want to get my, my thoughts out there. And sometimes it takes me time. Wrap it up. So much so that it wasn't Joe, but it was producer JJ, who one time was like, Marty, you'll have one, one uh, you know, quick thoughts. You're asking me a question, Duffer. And before I even said any words, he says, wrap it up. I'm like, I haven't even said anything and I'm already being told to wrap it up. So to all the producers out there and mostly to Joe, I thank you for uh, being kind and not yelling at me in my ears. It is rather amusing to me. And at the same time, unknowingly when we're in the moment, but how often people have commented after the fact, either on Twitter or personally, they say, do you ever get a word in? You should see the look on your face when Marty's talking. You look like you want some, you don't want to say something and you never have a chance. And I'm like, ah, sometimes it does. Most times it doesn't feel like that. But just, just so you know, that that's the impression you're leaving, Marty. I want to say the only reason it doesn't feel like that to you is because you're already thinking and you're researching and you're thinking about what's coming up next. And Joe's probably talking to you saying, mm. okay, we got uh, Tage Thompson warm-up shot coming up. So mm. you, you're already thinking about that. So you've tuned me out. So good on you to have tuned no. me out now for the, the amount of years we've worked together. Entirely not true, but on occasion, yes. And <laughs> okay, so- as I encourage him all the time, I tell Joe, Talk to me more. Talk to me more. And when you're serious about the game, bet on Buffalo at the only sports books in Western New York. Seneca Resorts and Casinos betting counters are open daily and self-service betting kiosks are available 24-7 at all three locations. So whether you visit Seneca, Niagara, Allegheny, or Buffalo Creek, the Sports Lounge features the latest lines and multiple screens so you never miss a play. The sports book at Seneca Resorts and Casinos, where the love of the game meets the thrill of the win. And now, Buffalo Sabres television producer, Joe Pinter. Joe, I'm sure that uh, when the opportunity first came around to start working with the legend, Rick Jenneret, it must have been uh, quite the feeling and opportunity you were presented with. Oh, that's that's an understatement, Duffer. Um, basically, I was uh, my first professional run-in with Rick was in the, oh, I think it was the early nineties when I was, I worked my first, I think I've told you guys the story of this before I worked my first home game as Ted Darling's AD up in the booth in the, in the television booth. And I had Ted Darling to my left. I was here and I had Rick to my right with the little partition between us doing the radio call. And uh, it was an incredible night. The, this 23 year old kid from Angola, New York, sitting in a broadcast booth with Ted Darling to his left and Rick Jenneret to his right. And uh, the great thing about the night was the two of them have such incredible, distinctive, their own play-by-play calls. And I've got Ted Darling, who I'm listening to in my, you know, my earphones here. And I've got Rick, who I can hear through the partition. And I kept on looking back and forth, wondering which game these two guys were watching because there were such distinctive, different calls. Um, so since you kind of worked with both of them, which one was more as a producer like active talking to you and which one is just let him be or is there similarities or are they very much different just like their calls well back then marty ted when ted was doing play-by-play for tv there really wasn't much of a talk back 
there was very little communication behind the scenes like that. That technology developed later on in the 90s and the okay. early 2000s. But either way, neither one of them, Rick to this day, still very little communication when the play is going on between us, unless he's hopping on to tell me a joke. Oh, he's got to go to the bathroom. Uh, I'll be right back. Nah, <laughs> I want to know about the jokes. I mean, can you oh. share any of them? Does he have recurring ones? Uh, yeah. No, I can't share that one. I can't. He would... <laughs> Rick was a master at, at taking players' names and having fun with it. So since we're broadcasting this, let's see if I can tell you. All right, so say uh, a guy's skating down the ice and right in the middle of his call, Rick would always have a funny little catch on the guy's name. So the guy would literally be skating down the ice and would say, and so-and-so down the left wing, and then he'd get in my ear and say his nickname and then continue his call without missing a beat. And, and see, when you say that, that to me, like not that the audience would ever imagine that that's happening, but then when you think of how he ends up punctuating plays just with, you know, he has an attachment. He has a way of making that player more than just the name in the moment, right? I mean, it's, it's I don't know, it's all, kind of all of, it's, it's a very good snapshot of, of, of what he is and the joy that he gets out of what he's doing. Right. One that I can say on the air is like Stu Grimson, he always called him the Grim Reaper. So if anything happened with Grimson, Grimson in the corner, he'd get in my ear and say, ah, the Reaper's out tonight. You know, just, but the amazing thing was it would not miss a beat. It'd be right in the middle of his call. Nobody would have any idea except for me because we had the two-way communication. Now, RJ called the game basically play-by-play. Play. He's like, he's got the excitement, the voice. He's describing the play just like you can close your eyes and, and see what's happening. But at any moment, as you just, you know, are talking about, he can talk to you and nobody can hear it. Any uh, time that uh, he thought he pressed the button and it went over the air and probably shouldn't have had? <laughs> uh, not too many. There was probably a few, but nothing that was any, you know, offensive or anything like that a few may have slipped but no not pretty much no that's okay that's what about razor uh, <laughs> that's another story <laughs> we'll save that for his retirement night yeah oh. um was rj i mean i i almost it's obviously my opportunity to come work with you and rj and the entire crew came much later in life but i can certainly you know, speak to the feeling of seeming like a 23 year old standing next to icons in the business. Uh, how, how quickly did it become normal for you where you, you know, you, you lost that, uh, should I be here or what am I doing here kind of feeling? And then it was just like, you know, you could, you could feel a friendship and a working partnership, you know, growing together. Well, probably about 10 years after I started producing for him. So maybe about uh, 10 years ago. Yeah. And, and RJ was great right from the beginning, as was Ted Darling. I, I couldn't have been luckier to, to meet these two guys on a personal level. Um, and, and Rick was great. When, when I, my first year producing for him was uh, 2002. And Lowell McDonald was the producer I took over for, who still to this day is one of the best in the game. So and that was Rick's first run at television because he had done 25 years of just radio. So he was maybe six years into television doing play by play. And I had started producing and, you know, it, it was, it was difficult for both of us because we were both still relatively new, but the, to answer your question, the time for me to get comfortable where I could, you know, be comfortable with the legend, like it probably took a good 10 years to just where, you know, I considered him, you know, I wasn't in awe of him as much anymore, I guess. I was still in awe, but I wasn't intimidated or scared. And, and he, of course, had no reason, gave me no reason to be intimidated or scared. I just was. What, uh, well, you guys traveled a lot together. I mean, doing all the games and getting on the plane, getting on the bus after games. Um, what was RJ like on the road? Like the game's over and he's getting his things and then like what happens now like where is he first on the bus does he sit in the back of the bus does he sit in the front what's his what's his demeanor on the bus after a win after a loss what was he like on the road first man on the bus front seat right behind the driver always um there's a funny story that goes with that but now well, you guys have your own bus right so he's not yeah. taking like well, the head coach's spot no for years we traveled with the team 
for years, uh, we would travel with the team, uh, the play-by-play -play color and myself and the director. We only had our own bus maybe the last um, 10 years or so. Okay. When we traveled with the team, we would have a certain spot on the bus. I believe it was the fifth row back is where we could start sitting. But when we had our own bus, he was, you know, it was RJ's bus. He was the first guy on the bus. He sat in the front seat. He commented to everybody that got on the bus, good or bad, sarcastic or not. Um, and I, you made me think of, uh, I don't know if you guys were on the trip when, when um, like I said, RJ was always the first guy on the bus. So we're in Columbus, I believe it was. And uh, Razor's on the bus and I always would get there late because we were still on the air. So I get on the bus, Razor's on the bus, everybody's on the bus, but RJ and we're looking around saying, you know, where's RJ? Nobody knows. But uh, Sorry, RJ, but all of a sudden Razor's phone rings. I guess all of our phones were ringing and nobody picked up, but Razor's phone rings and he picks up. Uh, RJ had locked himself in the bathroom on the bus. <laughs> were you guys on that trip? Um, no. I wasn't, but I, yeah, I, I don't think I was on it for some reason, but I do recall. Hearing so he's that. in the back of the bus, he's locked in the, in the bathroom. The we're all hooping and hollering because we had won. So we're up in the front of the bus having fun, looking for RJ. Nobody's answering their phones and the door latched, you know, the door latched on him and he couldn't get it open. So like did Razor had to kick it, kick it down. <laughs> like what did he have to do? I just think of like an airplane bathroom where somebody has to use their shoulders to pop right. it open that's, type that's thing. That's what it was like, but it opened fine from the outside, just not from the inside. Oh man. Uh... The irony of the story is a Washington Capitals player the next morning locked himself in a bathroom in the, in a hotel. Yes. Joel Ward. Joel Ward. Yeah. And, of course, that was the chatter the next morning because we were still on the road trip. So everybody was, you know, comparing notes with RJ and Joel Ward. Amazing. I remember reading about that and was thinking, oh, my gosh, what a feeling. Um, what what else like when you were getting to know RJ, what else stood out the more you got to spend time with him? Was there because I think it's only natural, right? I mean, you think you you've grown up listening to this voice. And then you presume you kind of know him, but then you start seeing a little, little more of him. What, what did you come to know? Well, it, it, I, still to this day, I'm amazed at how nice of a guy he really is and how much he, he's such a giving person. And um, I mean, it, he always would be the guy that would organize the, the team dinners on the road. You know, two, three times a year was RJ dinner night. Come on, guys, we're going to dinner. And he would sit in the corner and hold court and, We'd all go and eat. He wouldn't even eat until after, you know, after we were all done eating. But just how nice and genuinely a good person he really is. And, and he's just a, you know, a joy to be around. And his conversation's fantastic and the stories he tells. Um, you know, and, I, and I, that's the thing I miss. I was just talking to a Mike Harrington about his article a couple of weeks ago. I mean, the thing I miss the most about not traveling or COVID is, is time spent with not only you guys. I mean, I spent a lot of time with you guys regardless, but time spent with, with RJ on the road or at dinner and mm -hmm. just sitting down, talking hockey, talking life, you know, picking on each other. You know, well, I, I, right now there's, you know, this opening see uh, the opening of the season, of major league baseball, the NBA basketball, the playoff pushed in NHL hockey. There's a million things going on what would have been the topic of conversation with RJ? Because he always would talk sports and what's going on around the world. Is it more geared towards hockey or more geared towards something else, but hockey? Oh, it was almost always geared towards hockey. I mean, okay. he watches a lot of hockey. We would talk a lot of hockey about hockey around the league, but you know, if there was a football game on or a, a a horse race or anything or even a dog track i mean his knowledge i tell you for he's extremely bright he's very smart and his vocabulary is fantastic too which is a whole nother story but we're getting sidetracked here but yeah it, it didn't really matter it was basically hockey with rj but it was anything he, he loves sports and you know the, the story is legendary how when he calls a game he's got one monitor that's got the sabers game on it and then another monitor that's got whatever else is on tv so as soon as the whistle blows, when Rob Ray's trying to talk, you know, RJ's just watching whatever else game is on. Yeah, the more you guys were speaking there, the more it was reinforcing why I think Razor and RJ have been a good fit on the air and their banter over the years. Because when you when you dive into those moments where it's behind the scenes at dinner time and on the bus and things like that, 
for all the kidding that we do with one another. And usually razor instigates a lot of it, but you know, I have always found Rob to be quite worldly. Like he's, he's interested in a lot of things. Right. And he, he tries to soak that in. And I, I, RJ is the same way. So I can imagine, you know, it, it could feel like it's repetitive being on the road, sit, you know, drop the bags to the hotel, sit down, have dinner, whatever. I think those two probably just have a real knack for meaningful conversation. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. Absolutely. And, and it was repetitive, but it was never the same. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sure that's the- a really good way to put it because I mean, you just said exactly what Marty and I have said multiple times. Like we miss going into the arena and sitting down for dinner at the table that has reserved for RJ on it inside, you know, key bank center. Like, but all of us felt the same way. It was whoever showed up there. They were lucky to have that moment or two sitting down with RJ before everybody else arrived. It's pretty cool. And you know, the, the, the routine was similar, especially for razor and, and RJ we'd get to the hotel, we'd do our thing and, you know, they'd go together. I'd do my thing. They'd do their thing. Then we'd usually meet up about eight, nine o'clock at night. That's the way it was. If we didn't go to go out together for dinner, we would meet up at eight or nine o'clock at night at whatever gin mill, the two of them were hanging at just to touch base, say hello, see who was going to get picked on that night. And, you know, see who showed up, have RJ yell at you for not buying him a beer. And then he wouldn't let you buy one. If, if you tried, right. you know, that's that's rj um you talk about razor uh and you got to work with harry neal you got to work with uh, jimmy lawrence you got to work with a bunch of uh their color guys so um any one or particular story between rj and uh, one of his color guy that stands up that uh, stands out that uh, you're like man that was that that should go down in a book hmm. Hmm. there might be one or two that i shouldn't repeat <laughs> well that's why we got you on because people want to know those type of stories yeah when are you going to tell them joe i mean if not now never right come on <laughs> all right well i do have to apologize to rj again for this one but there was a time when uh rj got cut off during the middle of a fight call that he wasn't real happy at because as you know when rj you know when he's doing it's it's rj and and he was starting and he got ramped up and started his call and the color announcer interrupted and said something and Rick was not very happy about that. So did it go quiet? It went quiet. For a couple it went of very seconds. quiet. <laughs> the were out to let the, the, you know, the, the moment mm-hmm. breathe. Hey, uh, but what about like, I think everybody has such <laughs> fond memories of Jim Lorenz working with RJ in your position. How often did you find yourself just listening to them? Yeah, quite, quite often, especially early on, because as with Razor, when when Lorenzo and, and Rick were working together, Rick had an incredible amount of respect for him as a player. So not because of that, but in addition to that, when he comes to be the broadcaster, I think there was a better connect, a, some sort of a bond there that Lorenz was a, an old a famous saber and now he's working with rick and i think rick really i think that was um special for rick and, that, and so those especially early on those guys were great and, and they had an incredible chemistry and i did when i first started in the business and i was still getting my teeth wet i i sat back often and just would get lost in the moment and listen to two of them during a, a stoppage in play and you know and, and early on they were both extremely helpful too and and for me to do my job so i did take a lot of direction from them early on I mean, I used to go to the NHL broadcast meeting, even as a player, I would go, they'd invite me, we'd talk to all the broadcast teams, uh, you know, regional and national, and then I went, obviously, as a broadcaster after, and they always talked about how the play-by-play is changing. It's not so much of a play-by-play, it's more of a storytelling, and you have to do it for the audience. Um, was there ever a conversation or a time where somebody came to RJ and said, Oh, listen, RJ, we, you know, you have to change the way you call the game. And, and or was it always like, we let him do what he does because he's the great all of famer, Rick Jenneret. When Rick was hired to do television in the late, in the mid nineties, 95, 96 by uh, Doug Moss and Jennifer Smith, the edict was you do your call, your, you, you do your play call. And to my knowledge, and I'm sure he'd say the same thing. He doesn't, he didn't change a thing. 
Yeah. Rick does his play call. It's the same call he's done for 50 years. He did not change a thing. He may have adapted a little bit here and there, but his basic call, and, and like you said, Marty, he's old school. When the play-by-play is doing the call, he wants to do the call. He wants to call the game. He doesn't want to tell stories. That That's all done at the whistle. But no, he, um, I'm sorry, go ahead, Duffer. No, it's just amazing, isn't it? How sometimes when you step back and think about what you just said like that, that not everything needs to evolve the way people on the, you know, periphery think it needs to evolve because quite frankly, there's nothing wrong with the way Rick has ever called the game. No. And not that it was a bad idea, but there was a league initiative to be more storytelling. And the problem is, is that our audience was used the way to the way Rick Jenner called the game. So if, if Rick would have started telling stories, people would have been mad. And, and getting back to the way that you were, the first thing you said about how the game, the, the position has changed. To this day, Rick Jenneret shows up to do a hockey game with a lineup card and nothing more. No other notes, nothing. He's got a lineup card only because he doesn't know a couple players on the other team's number. That's He wants to refer to that. He knows probably two-thirds of, of the other team. He's, there's a couple guys he's not sure, but he's, he shows up with a lineup card. No game notes, no written notes, no nothing. A lineup card. Yeah, that's, that's unheard of. That, that's unheard of because I remember two of the best in the business that I, um, you know, that I know of, um, Sam Rosen and Kenny Alberts, they both work for the New York Rangers. So I'd be on the plane walking up and down the aisle of the plane and I'd see Kenny Alberts with it, this fold-out piece of paper in front of him, right? Like he was preparing for a football game, but it is numbers and players and notes and all of that because those guys do football they do baseball they do hockey uh but even when it's a hockey game they have they they put their books in front of them and they have the player's name where they're from their stats from last year where they played junior or college they have all of it and you're right rj it's not that he's not going to use that information and he knows all that information but he doesn't have to have it in front of him he's done it so long that he knows what information to retain and what information people don't want to know, which is pretty amazing to, uh, to see Duffer and I, we, we put too much time into preparation. So we need to be a little bit more like RJ, maybe. Well, you, you get, you color coordinate Marty. So you even take it another further, you know, I can barely read my own writing. So that causes its own problems as we go along. And honestly, though, I think it just, that's probably Joe, what I've learned most about RJ is, is how much he still loves the game and therefore still watches the game and still interacts with people around the game. So anything that's coming out of his mouth during the broadcast, other than the natural excitement of the play is stuff that he's had conversations about or observations personally about. So he trusts his own instincts. And, and, and again, those are, those are wonderful traits to pass on to people that are coming along in the business. Like it can't just be lifting something off of a page over here and trying to bring it to life. Like you, you have to have real life interactions and experiences here to, to share with people. That's a good point Duffer. And on top of that, he's got the vocabulary to say it in a concise, meaningful, direct way. I mean, his crossword puzzles that was another thing when, that I noticed when I first started working with him were his crossword puzzles he'd take the New York Times Sunday crossword puzzle on a bus put his glasses on wouldn't say a word for 20 minutes and he'd be done and he'd be probably did them every day I, he, I don't think he does them as much anymore but just the crossword puzzles he used to do and his vocabulary and that's what uh, blew me that's what blew me away on RJ's banner night was for as well read as he is and doesn't often convey much about music yeah, when he cited neil diamond i was like wait a minute what's going on here this is the last person that i was going to think would lift some lyrics off of a page but again that's rj right he's he always has that element to give you something that you wouldn't necessarily expect that's well put there yeah. What about all the shenanigans pregame, <laughs> the dressing up? I mean, we did old geezer night the other day and, and uh, you know, RJ 
let uh, Duffer know and Razor. And then uh, we kind of all talked about it. And then I said, well, maybe somebody's got to tell Joe about this because, and then we we're all like, well, we're only going to tell him, but like a few hours before the game so that nothing gets squashed because RJ, we can't say no to RJ. So, but him and Jim Lawrence did some dressing up. There's a time where he brought Irish dancers up in the broadcast boot and had the little dance going on. Like, has a producer. Has it happened often that he's come to you or was it always, yes, RJ, you can do whatever you want? How did that all work out? Uh, it's probably 50-50. A good number of these, especially early on, were his ideas. And he told me about all of them before we went to air, but they were usually his idea. And he'd come to the rink saying, hey, this is what I'd like to do tonight. Uh, even the simple stuff back with, with Jim Lorenz maybe was a little bit more coordinated, but he was always, always, always looking to do something fun like that. You know, if we were in Florida and we're next to like behind one of the rinks in Florida, there's a little pond that's got alligators in it. So we went out there one day and shot an open next to the pond. But he, he always wanted to do stuff like that. Most of the time, if not all the time, it was his idea. And I don't think he ever had anything that was, we had to say, no, we shouldn't do that. They're all good ideas. Mm-hmm. And we've done, well, you saw the one reel that we ran at the, on RJ night. Yeah. yeah. Hundreds of him dressing up and, you know, Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny. Frankenstein was good. Yeah. Hey, what did you think? Sitting in the position you were in, observing RJ's banner night, <laughs> knowing how long you've known him and just what the building felt like. And what, what, what did you feel and see that night? Oh, I was just overwhelmed and extremely happy with the way it was received by the fans and the, and the, and the reception <laughs> fans gave him. I wish it could have gone on for another hour. I would, have, I would have loved to see the fans stand and just give him a standing ovation for 30 minutes. But it was, it was really, I felt really, really good for him. You know, I, I, I'm sad as sad can be. I mean, it, that'll take a while for me to get over. But for him, I was, it, it was really, I had a great feeling for him. For me, I'm, I'm bittersweet, but it was so cool to see what him in a moment, he got a little choked up. It was, it was special. Well, people in the stands got to either see it live or kind of peeking at the Jumbotron to see a closer look to what RJ is doing. On TV, we got to see what you guys put out there, but you're in the truck and you have, gosh knows how many screens, right? And, and camera angles, and you've got his family in the suite on one TV. You've got RJ, you've got Razor, you got the alumni, you got the fans. Like, you got to see it in such a an overall way uh, what what moment did you think was the either the the one that got people emotionally hooked on uh, on what was happening um i don't think it was when he first walked out it was probably when he well maybe it was when he first walked out when he got the first ovation and they didn't stop i think that's probably when i the the tear ducts opened up a little bit for me the first time. So I think it was when, when, when things started to settle down and then the crowd kept on going and wouldn't stop cheering the first time is when it was really, that's when I had to sit back and let everybody else carry the show. Cause I had to collect myself a little bit. <laughs> it was amazing. And I almost feel, I don't know. I, I have a feeling that you've been counting this down more just because you have to like you, you're, I don't know. You're probably just more in tune with each of his individual games remaining. And I, I, you know, Marty and I are on the air every day and we're always talking about this, that, and the other thing. And it's, it's only hitting me now, which I feel guilty of saying, but it's really hitting me this week right now. Like once we turned the corner this weekend and then it was like, Oh my God, there's four games left and there's only two for RJ. And I don't know whether I've just been in denial the whole time and not wanting to focus on it. But now it's starting to be, I mean, you just use bittersweet. It's almost becoming uncomfortable because like, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want, nobody wants it to end. Right. So I, you know, and it was also a weird dynamic on RJ night too, because I remember turning to you, Marty off air. And it's like, we got to save something for RJ's last night too. And I don't even want to think about that, but like, you, <laughs> like you, you, you still have to, 
I don't know. I don't even know. I, I don't even, I, you're already looking ahead to the final game. I'm sure. But I'm, I think we all don't want to either. <laughs> no, I've dread it. I I'm looking ahead, but I, I don't want to No, I don't want that day to happen. Yeah. Play simple. I was talking to him the other night. And again, these are the moments like we used to have at the dinners before the game. And so um, I went up to the broadcast location in the press box before last game uh, because I had a picture for Mitch Korn. Good old Mitch Korn is coming in next Saturday when the Islanders are in. And he had a picture he wanted RJ to sign and he doesn't want to bother him on Saturday. So he's like, can you get it signed beforehand? And I said, absolutely. So I went up and I ended up sitting in, you know, the broadcast booth for about 20 minutes and just, you know, chatting with RJ and, and talking, whatever. And we were talking about, the fact that Chicago is in on the last game and Pat Foley, Chicago Blackhawks play-by-play guy is also retiring. And they did a ceremony just last week. And RJ was like, Oh, I was hoping that Pat was going to be in town and we could go together. And, but he's not doing that game. And he, it was, he was almost angry at that. Like I'm thinking, Hey, like, is he, is he, has he talked to you or talked to you, Duffer, about his last game? Has he opened up as to what that's going to be like? Because I got a little, insight as to almost what he was like in his mind thinking at, at next Friday, the 29th, when it's the last game. But uh, I'm, I don't think that he's, he's happy about it. Like, it's just, it's so, so weird. Then he goes into, well, I'm tired now. I'm going to be 80 years old. I'm tired now. So like, there's, there's like a bittersweet even to him about that date. Right. I don't think he's really grasped yet what he's going to do on the 29th. I don't think he really in his mind knows how he wants to handle that yet. I talk to him not daily, but quite often. And I don't push him of course ever. And we just discuss what we're thinking. And I mean, we're going to have a little promotion for this weekend for the game on the 23rd. We're going to have his two sons uh, doing color commentary, so to speak with him in the booth all game. Yeah. So that's what his focus is on now. He's really worried about how that's going to go and how we're going to integrate Razor into the broadcast and so on and so forth. So his he's a little bit, that's where his thoughts are now. And I think once that day's over, he'll have six games or six days to really figure out how he wants to say goodbye. But um, it might not be an easy thing for him, I'm, I would guess. It, it's so funny because he was talking about that. He goes, no, next game, I got my two sons. Uh, we can't have a camera here. We don't have enough room. Like, we can't have, no, you guys are going to be gone. Like, he's very, like, adamant that, like, it, this is the next thing on his mind. Now, you're right. That is, and I can't wait to hear that because what an opportunity and a special feeling would it be uh, to be able to do that job with, with uh, even – you know, one uh, child, but his two sons being over there that I can't wait to hear what that sounds like. It's going to be amazing. I, I always remember in 99 when we lost to Dallas in the cup finals and uh, we weren't traveling at the time. So it was radio only because it was a national TV broadcast. And I just remember when um, we were talking to Rick about how we wanted to handle the, you know, the, the doing the color play by playing color on the road. And he said, it's the Stanley Cup Finals. I'd like to have my two sons in a booth with me. So they both did stats for him back in 99. So it's been a long time coming that um, he hasn't had another Stanley Cup Finals. So his, his uh, you know, second last game, it'll be nice to have his sons up there with him. You know, RJ has mentioned this story before, and those who witnessed it certainly remember it. And it kind of ties in with just the whole RJ night and seeing Ryan Miller as part of the tribute video. But were you there when... It ended against Carolina and RJ had that moment after the game where he'd been taught, you know, going around and thanking the players for their run. And no. he talked about getting in front of Ryan Miller and, and, you know, the two of them welling up with emotion. And, and I think what's beautiful about that is just seeing Ryan in this tribute video to RJ on his night, like Ryan comes across as so genuine in that, that I could only imagine what the raw emotion was like between these two guys that cared so much and the way it came to an end against Carolina. Yeah, I, I wasn't there. Well, I wasn't there, unfortunately. And, and you make me think about Ryan. Ryan was a special or is a special person. He's, you know, there's been hundreds and hundreds of players that have come through that door that I've interacted with. And he's definitely one of the, 
you know, one of the more special ones as far as a person and caring and connecting with you. And so I, that, that had to be a nice moment for RG. I wish I could have witnessed that, but we lost. So I'm kind of glad we didn't. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier about RJ using nicknames in the middle of a call. And because you talked about Ryan and that was kind of like my last years and I had, I had some good years, but I also had some games that were a little tougher at any moment. Did RJ ever like a goalie gives up a goal. It's a bad goal. And it goes, uh, Oh, shoot scores. And then he presses the button. He goes, well, that was brutal. And then comes back like, as a, and if you do remember one about me, please share. I want to know if I was ever the, the, the conversation point when I gave up a bad goal. All the time, Marty. And it wasn't, <laughs> and it wasn't just goalies. It wasn't just you. It could be anybody. If he didn't like something, he, he would even well, I, last game or, uh, uh, what was the last game he did? Was it the St. Louis Philadelphia Saturday the game when we yeah. were down to nothing? Yeah. Early. Right. Yeah. After the second goal, <laughs> as soon as they scored, I don't even think he was doing his goal call. He hopped down and said, Oh my God, this is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's flip it around to a game. You remember the most for all the right reasons working with RJ hmm. any night where you just, you know, well, it just jumps off the page. Yeah, there's got to be many, but the one that jumps off the page is the win against the Rangers in the 06 playoffs. The Chris Drury goal, then a Finneganoff. We had about 5,000 people outside that were watching the game live in the pavilion area. And and we've had this discussion before, Duffer, the, the great Chris Drury goal call. And right after the game, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It, it, one of the best times in, you know, in the history of this franchise. And after the game, I'm talking to Rick. I'm like, that was just an incredible call on the Drury goal. You laid out, you built the anticipation. And then you, he says, Pinto, I didn't know who scored. Said, what do you mean? He says, I didn't know who scored. So I had to, I had to delay and say, Buffalo scores, Buffalo scores. So just to, to hear that afterwards, and the, that might be my favorite goal call of all time. And he didn't know who scored and he made it. You know, I've listened to thousands of goal calls, and that might be my favorite one ever. And he didn't even know who scored right away. Is he the only one that calls you Pinto? Or is this your nickname? Because every time, like the other night, I'm up there, and he goes, ah, I got to talk to Pinto about it. And I'm laughing because yeah. we always say Joe. Like, you are Joe to us. And we always say Joe, but he calls you Pinto. Yeah, that's probably been going on for about 25 years. I don't know where it came from. I don't know. I don't think too many other people call me that. In fact, maybe nobody, but... <laughs> He's called me that for at least 25 years. I think Razor does every now and again, but that's probably just because he's around RJ, right? Oh, uh, yeah. He calls me a few things also. <laughs> yeah. Same. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it reminds me of what Razor called me on air for uh, about a year or so before you finally told him to stop calling me. Yeah, I remember that too. <laughs> that, that was kind of the fun of those little get togethers at lunches when all of us were there. Oh. We didn't know who was going to be the target of those two at any given oh, night. It could be me, it could be Marty, it could be you, it could be Razor. Oh. I'll tell I've you taken, what. I, I've taken what, a lot of abuse, and I won't call it abuse. It's fun banter yes. from uh, Razor. And I, but now, I've, I've, after years now, I've started to, to pump up my chest a little bit more, and I give it to him a little bit more uh, than I used to. I was a, I was a little bit scared. Um, one player, Joe, you talk about one player uh, that Razor used to always, always pick on, and he didn't know how to handle it, and uh, would likely just go sit in a stall. Is Brian Campbell? Um, <laughs> you like Soupy? You've always talked about him. Um, <laughs> game one of the 06 playoffs against the Flyers, overtime. Soupy hits RJ Umberger. The building's going crazy. Um, what do you remember about that? And RJ in that moment trying to always walk the line between the guy is hurt on the ice, but oh my gosh, what a hit. I need to build it up. Oh, that was a great call. That was a great, another great moment in the history of the franchise that basically solidified Brian Campbell's career, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The call RJ, I think in retrospect, I think he knew the significance of all of that when it happened. And I, and I don't remember the exact call, I do remember bits and pieces, but not the exact call. But all I remember, the thing I remember most about it is it seemed to me that when it happened, RJ knew exactly what it meant, not only for the game, 
but for the series and more importantly for Brian Campbell's career. It, it almost seemed like the way he called that, he knew that that was a very, very big, big moment in the, in the, you know, he forced, if he forced, I'm using the wrong word here, but he saw that that was, you know, you know, it was a, oh boy, what a great play that was too. I, that's a, you know, his ability to either completely encapsulate a moment or, you know, almost foreshadow what might come what, after it. Yeah without yeah. saying it is yeah. amazing. And, and honestly, Joe, like the, the whole Mayday call, I wasn't able to hear it live. And, and yet when I did hear it for the first time in its entirety, I am still as blown away mm-hmm. by the second part of that call as the Mayday part itself. Because RJ in that moment wrapped up 10 years of frustration for everybody and mm-hmm. succinctly put, how do you spell sec? You know, off to La Belle Province. How do you spell second round? It was just, oh my! That's exactly what everybody's thinking. Like finally, they've broken through, and we're on to the next round. And but it was the way he said it. And again, like there's just, I don't know. I he has. I don't even know how you describe it. He just has it, right? Yeah, he does have it. And he, just even the simple, the, the most boring, mm-hmm. slow, sluggish games, mm-hmm. his call doesn't change. Right. It could be an absolutely horrible game at a snail's pace on the ice that you're, you're looking at going like this, but his call, his energy is always there. His call is always there. Mm-hmm. He's still inflecting the hits in the corner. He's still acting like it's game seven of the, of the Stanley Cup finals. There's no boring game ever that he calls ever. And the, the favorite one I saw on social media a few months ago was, <laughs> and it's still not out of the zone, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. applies like, you know, 30 yeah. times a game. And he yeah. still manages to catch your attention in a game where nothing's happening. And it's like, Oh, well, I, need I don't to pay know. Attention. I don't know how that works. Join. Maybe you can explain this to, to us. Um, like I, I, I think almost of you guys in the truck, like, uh, you know, a guitarist, like where they can turn their sound up, like they have a knob that they can turn it up. Um, is there ever a time where RJ's level got so high into a game because he the game got so intense and he kept mounting the volume, the volume that you guys had to turn him back a little bit in the truck because it was coming across too loud? Yeah, they put limiters on. Uh, yes, they, they put a limiter on. I don't know the, the technical details, but yes, they have a a piece of equipment that makes sure he doesn't get overmodulated and because he he would sometimes even be screaming you know okay i need to ask you about this this doesn't come up often other than typically in private conversations um <laughs> what was it like for you and i'm sharing this because it was really personal for me as kind of you know someone still relatively new what was it like for you the night that rj and jim kelly were on the ice together on hockey fights cancer night and then each of them individually sat with us for a long interview as both at that time were saying that they were cancer free now as we both as we all learned they both still had a lot of miles left on the journey Mm -hmm. to get to better health but that that moment to me is it's a huge rj and jim moment i mean i i'm a big bills fan as you know and i actually did get our present quarterback mistaken with the previous quarterback and John <laughs> Kelly the other day. But uh, so I, I, it was a special night for Jim Kelly because I was such a big fan of him, but that was a tough time for, for everybody when Rick was sick and it was emotional, uh, encouraging, you know, to see the way that it all, it, but that was, Boy, that was, I haven't thought about that in a long time, Duffer. That was a, that was a scary time, a tough time. But when he came out for that hockey fights cancer, and then he returned to work shortly after, I mean, that was, it was almost like um, uh, starting again with RJ. It was almost like the first, however many years that we had together were those. And now after this life-changing event and, you know, what had happened it was almost like it's the new beginning of the rest of of his career almost 
Well, he yeah. was kind of on a plan to retire, right? He was going to do, he was on a three-year plan, like going to wean himself off and then that was going to be it. And then the, the, the cancer diagnostic happened. And then after his treatments, he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not stepping away. I'm doing this. Um, that, that had to be in a sense, like, oh, like we're so happy that he's healthy, but again, we're so happy that he's going to continue was, to call the games. Working, sure. I mean, we were all worried for him, obviously. And, and the fact that he not only came back and, and beat that phase and beat his cancer, that he came back and worked that he was as strong and as good as ever. And he, you know, that, how many years ago was that? It had to be close to 10 years now, right? It's at least seven. Yeah. yeah. Maybe eight or nine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It really and just is. because you've told so many stories about RJ that made him look, eh, I don't want to say bad, but there are stories that you shouldn't tell. Um, just so the people <laughs> at home understand how this all works. So a lot of time we're coming back from commercial in a post game or intermission, and you're going to tell Duffer or myself or both of us, uh, we're going to come back with a, a scenic of uh, uh, Buffalo and um uh, goal call, and then we're coming back, and you know we'll go into our uh, our sponsored elements and whatnot. So last game against the Flyers, after the game, Josh Allen was in the Sabers locker room, high fiving everybody after the game. So just as we're coming back from commercial, you say to Duffer, Jim Kelly in the Sabers locker room. When we come back, Jim Kelly in the Sabers locker room. So give Duffer credit when they showed Josh Allen on the jumbotron many times. We saw Jim Kelly in the suite at the game. So he, Duffer, has knowledge that Jim Kelly is at the game. I know Jim Kelly's at the game, but I'm like, okay, okay. And how many times did you say Jim Kelly in the locker room before <laughs> somebody realized like Josh at Allen least, in the locker room? At least three or four. Yeah. And right before we went, right before we came back, I must have said Josh Allen about 10 times after that to correct myself. Yeah. It was fun though. I, dil I, I diligently wrote down Jim Kelly on my notes in front of me just to make sure. And then it was like, <laughs> no, we're going to Josh, but that must be, you know, I don't know. It's all part of uh, RJ. Uh, I think the fact that RJ loves sports so much that you must be enjoying this crossover and, you know, this Bill's Sabres tie-in that we see way more often now it must oh, be enjoyable I, for you right oh i love it i've i've worked for the bills just as long as i've worked for the sabers yeah and the first however many years it was they were two separate organizations and unfortunately there wasn't a lot of chemistry between the two at the time and now that thank god the pagulas have you know owned both franchises and they've stabilized both franchises this is a sports fan in buffalo like me it's my dream to have these two teams one Buffalo, as we like to call it. Yeah, it's, it couldn't be any better. It really, it's, I love it. It's great. Both of my teams are owned by the same people. And, you know, there's a lot of interaction between the two franchises. How do you go about not, like, sometimes I find myself, oh man, what game was it, Duffer, the other day? Oh, the RJ Knight, when we scored the first goal against Nashville. I never have cheered so loud, or maybe even cheered for a goal <laughs> from our broadcast location. And when the puck went in the net, Peyton Krebs, right? He gets the puck and he shoots it in. Mm -hmm. My fist is in the air. Yes. I'm like pumped. Like, I'm so happy. Like, yeah, <laughs> we scored a goal. It's RJ night. Let's go get it. Right now. You are obviously, I've always been a Sabres fan and a Bills fan. You're in the truck. How hard is it not to get into like you're listening to rj you are you're into the game you're writing the ups and downs like how hard is it for you in your position uh to uh to to just stay constant and do the job it's not difficult but i'm a fan first marty i'll be honest with you no matter what i'm doing for my job i'm a fan first and foremost and i love the team i've loved the team since 1970 i've only worked for them since 88 so i've got 18 years of being a fan before i was an employee and i Yes, something great happens. I'm jumping up and down. I'm happy. I'm hooting and hollering. Uh, the empty net goal we scored, Tage's empty net goal the other day. I, I, I remember just going like this in my chair, leaning back. And, you know, yeah, we'd, I get excited. The big goals, the big moments, I get a little bit more excited. But yeah, the big, and because at that time when a goal is scored, you're excited. Then you hear Rick's call. And then that gets you going a little bit more. Then I do have to focus a little bit to see what replays we show and such, but it's pretty easy to, 
Yeah, we, <laughs> I'm a fan first. And, you know, <laughs> that made me just think of something. RJ's a fan first. And RJ, that's the thing. I The hardest thing for me all these years doing this job when the team wasn't successful, as much as it bothered me as a fan, it really, really bothered Rick. <clears throat> Rick took losses and losing streaks and not making the playoffs personally. He, his love for this team is greater than any other love he has for sports. And, and he literally is a part of this team. And it was really, that was tough during a few of the dark years to get on the bus and, and talk to him and just see how, how much the losing took out of him. Unless you have something else to add, which you might. I think that's a perfect way to end because I was going to ask you, like I always do, one word. And I think fan is an appropriate word because he is one and that's how he's connected with every single fan over the years. But if there's another word or two that you want to attach to RJ before we bid adieu, please. Uh, the only word that comes to mind when I think RJ is just legend. All right. Don't look at the schedule. Okay. <laughs> Today's an off day. I know. Thank you for doing this on the off day. It's been great. You're really welcome. appreciate yes. catching up. This is, uh, this is the stuff we cherish. We've all been lucky to be, uh, you know, along for the ride, so to speak. Thank you, Joe. And it was an honor for me to be on with two, with you two guys. So thank you. Thank you. Marty, that was a lot of fun. Joe, uh, I would say politely, is relatively camera shy. So the fact that uh, he was willing to sit down for as long as he did to discuss the man the way he did in Rick Jenneret, uh, that's a great gift to us because he offers a completely different perspective on things. I love the story when he talks about uh, Mr. Darling and Mr. Jenneret calling the same game left and right of him, and they sounded so different, but they were both amazingly good at what they did. So I thought that was a great portrayal, a portrayal of both of the Sabres play-by-play uh, -play legends. And it leads us nicely because you speak of amazingly good. We try to honor each every each and every week here on Instigators Overtime, uh, those that have been going above and beyond and are star worthy. Now, obviously, RJ is always the number one star from our side of things uh, in the media and on the broadcast side. But uh, we're looking at it a little more player specific. Who have you got for your three stars this week? Okay, so player specific. I'm going to go with my number one star, Jonathan Huberdo. You're starting at one? I'm going to start at one. Yeah, well, oh, wow. it, it's three stars. I'm not sure if it's the first, second, or third, but like one of my stars, Jonathan Huberdo, who is only, as we speak right now, two points behind Connor McDavid in the scoring race in the National Hockey League. They both are at 75 uh, games played, 110 points for Connor McDavid, 108 for Jonathan Huberdo. Who would have thought that at the start of the season that Huberdo was going to be two points behind McDavid? So I'm going with Huberdo as one of my stars. The other star, one of the my three stars, because I don't want to say second star, I'll get in trouble, is Spencer Knight, who has won his last five games, nice. three starts, and he came in relief twice on Bobrovsky still to win the game. And right now, it looks like the goaltender that was picked in the first round by the Florida Panthers and was a star at the World Juniors and star in college and now looks to be a star in the National Hockey League. So I'm going to say Spencer Knight is my second star. And the third star, because I've done this all year, I'm going to say the Florida Panthers, who at no point this year, I thought we're going to be able to catch the Colorado Avalanche. Well, just look at this. Florida has a game in hand on Colorado and are only two points back in the Presence Trophy race. So Colorado losing to Washington on Monday night really hurt them in that race. But Florida could be the top-seeded team when we start the playoffs on May 2nd. Nicely done. No surprise. You always like to pull in one particular team. Uh, you could have mentioned Gustav Forsling and uh, oh, yes. Sasha Barkov just to, you know, appeal to my, you know. Well, I could have mentioned Panther the uh, Lundell shorthanded goal where Barkov has got most cider all draped over him and he looks behind and he does a drop, drop pass and a shorthanded breakaway. You know Ooh. what's amazing about that play? is like 
Barkoff doesn't come up in the conversation of fastest skater. And he was literally standing still in the neutral zone. And Cider was on him from the moment he got the puck. And he still manages to travel whatever, 80 to 180, probably 80 feet before yes. he drops it off. You know, it was it was remarkable. Like, so it reminds remarkable. me a lot of Mario Lemieux. Like Mario yeah. Lemieux was never thought of a fast skater, but because he was six foot six and lengthy, he had the ability to just turn on jets. And how many times have we seen Mario with a guy draped over his back, right? Yeah. I remember a goal against the Quebec Nordiques where Norman Rochefort was draped over Mario's back and Mario skated, basically carrying him through a zone and a half and scoring, right? On Run mm. Tugnut, I believe that was. Uh, but that goal, although it wasn't Barkov's goal, reminded me a lot of a play that Mario Lemieux would have done. Uh, mm -hmm. And Barkov has that look, like that tall, lanky, strong forward look that doesn't seem to go fast, but he's flying out there. All right, I'm stalling, Marty, because I only have two stars. And I'm wondering, can you nudge me in a direction of a goaltender that is star worthy right now? A goaltender that is star worthy right now? Uh -huh. uh, I'm going to look around the National Hockey League. Uh, I, Shesterkin is star worthy, but I do believe that both goaltenders in New York are doing well. Yeah. Patrick Demko could be star worthy as well. He could be. He's not quite uh, there on my list yet. Oh, you know what? I'll go on the blue line instead. I Mike would say Smith, this. Mike Smith is star worthy right now. Back-to-back -back shutouts. Yeah, that's that's another topic for another day is, to, you know, do the Oilers finally have it all lining up properly for them to go on a playoff run? But I will say this, just in front of the goaltender, obviously, uh, we have spoke extensively about dynamic performances from the blue line this year. But I would say that most noticeable for me the last two weeks, and it's trending the right way, especially after a big win for the Capitals on the road in Denver, John Carlson's play has been very, very noticeably different and better. It's, you know, offensively, he's always had the points, but I, I've, I've seen just a little bit more urgency uh, and a few more punctuation marks that he's made on plays here of late. So I'll put Carlson in at the three spot because he's a real critical piece for Washington. If they can climb here in the standings before the regular season winds down, we saw firsthand a guy who's riding the longest active point streak. As we record this right now, that's Robert Thomas of the St. Louis blues. Oh. And one of the only reasons I'm mentioning him right now is because we are getting close to the end of the season, which then means draft previews, which means an inevitable, um, connection reconnecting with our good friend sam cosentino at sportsnet in canada and sammy will always be the guy that i think of when i see robert thomas have success because that year when we ask for later first round picks or sleepers or things like that he was all over robert thomas and i don't yep usually remember all these guys that people mention in and around the draft, but the Thomas one really stood out. The blues grabbed him at 20 and what a pick that has turned out to be patience had to be shown, but Thomas is now just absolutely dynamic. And then there's the last one. And Hey, you mentioned Huberdo and he's been more in the spotlight because he's been in that top three for so long, but Johnny Gaudreau <laughs> pending unrestricted free agent. Oh, my goodness, I have one wish before this regular season ends, and it's for Johnny Gaudreau to steal the Art Ross trophy away from those who are also in the Battle of Alberta. <laughs> I think what a great storyline, Edmonton, Calgary, and all of a sudden, if Gaudreau could snatch the scoring title from out from underneath Connor McDavid, wouldn't that be something? So I think I saw a stat that in the last 25 years, Johnny Goudreau now has surpassed anybody in even strength points in a season in the last 25 years. So starting in 1997, I probably, I think Jagger mm -hmm. had 84, uh, McDavid had maybe 84, and Goudreau now has 85 even strength points. The best even strength season when points in the last 25 years, amazing. Yeah, we've talked about it often, like top lines in the NHL. I mean, the Hartman line in Minnesota has been fantastic, but the Goudreau, Kachuk, Lindholm and Calgary, like Mar Marty, it's not even close. It's amazing what their production has been.
It's not even close. And it just goes against uh, uh, my belief that what Daryl Sutter usually is as a coach, like it's not yeah. about your top line is defensively responsible and nose grinding. And we're going to win this two to one. I, I really like what Daryl's done and he's, he's allowed that line to really blossom and go on the attack. And it's changed Johnny Gaudreau and it's, it's putting Brad tree living in a tough position, moving forward, the GM of the Calgary flames, because he has to re-sign Gaudreau and uh, Matthew Kachuk this summer. Kachuk's yeah. an RFA, Gaudreau's a UFA, but um, yeah. So their success, well, you know what? Good on Calgary. They're doing great. Yeah, it's been fun to watch. All right, folks. Thanks for, uh, you know, joining us on, on this edition. Ooh, can't stress it enough. Enjoy, savor these moments with RJ's last call season as, uh, as time is winding down on this campaign and obviously the Hall of Fame career. Our thanks to Joe Pinter for joining us and you. We're back again next week on Instigators Overtime presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos.